0: Welcome to episode 151 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversations with Sycamore trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all of the podcast players by going to sycamore.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us in Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. Our sponsor this week is PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. On today's episode, I'm having a conversation with Dr. Sumitra Moralidar, Program Director for the Department of Veterans Affairs Million Veteran Program in the Office of Research and Development. She oversees the policy and infrastructure development for the collection and use of samples in genetic, clinical, lifestyle, and military exposure data from over 1 million veterans. Since launching in 2011, over a million veterans have joined NVP. It's the largest research effort at VA to improve health care for veterans and one of the largest research programs in the world studying genes and health. You can find out more about Dr. Moraladar by checking out her bio in our show notes. Let's get into my conversation with her and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. Dr. Suma, I'm glad to be able to have a conversation with you about the VA's Million Veterans Program. But before we get into that, I'd like to provide you an opportunity to share a bit about yourself and why this work is so important to you.
1: Thank you for that great question, and thank you for having me on this podcast. Edwane. So I trained as a geneticist and a molecular biologist during my graduate work and PhD and did a lot of research myself. But my, it was a lot of research at the bench, in the laboratory. And I always wanted to get into something that's more meaningful in the sense you can take it to apply it to people sooner than I could from sitting in a lab. And so when I got an opportunity to come to the VA and actually oversee this program, I grabbed the chance and I was able to see how we can apply genetic techniques to improve healthcare. And this all started like around 2003 when the human genome was sequenced. So right after the sequencing of the genome, there was really an explosion of all these genomic technologies. And the price of sequencing the whole genome started coming down and that's the time when the undersecretary for health at the VA asked us who were in research in the office of research and development how can we leverage all these emerging technologies and the knowledge of the DNA to improve healthcare for our veterans and so we began to think about it if you look at the VA it's really an ideal system we have a national infrastructure for research embedded within a healthcare system with over 1,300 points of care. We have one of the world's best electronic health records, which goes back 30 years, and you can follow veterans and their health over that time and into the future. And we had a stable population. When veterans come to the VA to get health care, they stay with the VA. And so we were able to follow veterans over time. So we thought, here's an ideal situation. So if we build a program where we enroll veterans in a genomic longitudinal study program, if you will, get a blood specimen and do some genetic characterization and also have them do a surveys about their lifestyle, their military experiences and exposures. And then we have this very rich electronic health record. So we can make these associations between genetics, lifestyle, military experiences and exposures and health and illness that we see among veterans. So that was the beginning. That was the beginning of this Million Veteran program. And we brought a few experts from around the country who were in the VA clinicians, epidemiologists, researchers to the table to see, can we build this program? We also went out and asked veterans. We did focus groups with veterans and surveys and assess their attitudes about uh, genomics and genetics. Because this was, you know, back in 2007, 2008, Mm -hmm. when there was still a fear about giving your DNA to the government. And what does that mean? And so we explained what the program would would like, what would we use the data for, how would we secure the data, and asked about their opinions. What would they expect from such a program? What What would their major concerns be? And of course, the concern that came out was the privacy and confidentiality of their data. And uh, expectations-wise, they expected nothing in return. Most of our veterans are so altruistic and they have the spirit of service. And they felt that participating in this program is another way to serve the country and help their brothers and sisters, help future generations and, and all people. So... We were really encouraged by the results of the focus groups and surveys. And uh, so we started to think about how you build this program in the VA and started small and slowly started increasing the number of sites at which we could enroll veterans into the program. And the rest is history, as they say, we just enrolled our 1 millionth enrollee Mm. a couple of weeks ago.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And it's interesting to hear you say that it's been 20 years, but that's not really all that long ago in the grand scheme of things. I think back to we're at a point in history where the technology to be able to do these type of things, but even stretching back to like neuroimaging technology that really took off in the 80s and 90s are now telling us so much more about the brain, for example, or genomics, really telling us so much more about the genetic makeup that this wouldn't have been possible even, as you said, 30, 40 years ago.
1: That's absolutely right.
0: And I think that really, as you said, this idea of not only not only are, are veterans altruistic, we're used to doing what we're told. That's the other piece is we're good, very good at, at following direction. As both a veteran and a mental health professional, I am familiar with the Million Veteran Program, as well as how important it is and the benefits that could come from it. But you've started to talk a little bit about what it is. But what can you tell us about the Million Veteran Program and what you hope to achieve out of it?
1: Sure. So the Million Veteran Program is today, it's the world's largest research program on genetics and health. What we really want to do is advance precision medicine or personalized medicine. So instead of having a one-size-fits-all healthcare approach, we really want to tailor the treatment of veterans and all people to their genetics and then add in some of these other information like their lifestyle, exercise habits, diet, smoking, alcohol, other substance intake, and their military experiences and exposures, how all of these come together. And so when a veteran goes to a doctor in the future, they would not only just be able to look at the symptoms, but also have this profile of what will the genetics confer a higher risk for a particular illness. And if it is something that we can actually prevent You could diagnose illnesses sooner and prevent them even in some cases. The next thing is, if we understand that there is a genetic marker or markers that are associated with a particular illness, and we understand what the mechanism is, how is this impacting biology, how is this causing the disease, then we can identify treatments, new treatments for those illnesses. That's the second way. And the third is what is called pharmacogenomics, as you know. People don't respond the same way to medications, particularly when you talk about mental health. A lot of it is trial and error. You try one medication, it doesn't work, you try another. And so many of these, the effect of these medications are governed by the genetics. So if you understand, if you know the genetics in advance, then you could use the right medication for the right veteran at the right time or you could prevent using a wrong medication, which might cause adverse effects. So these are different ways in which we hope that the Million Veteran Program will be able to advance personalized healthcare or precision healthcare in the future. And we really went for a million because you need large numbers of people with a particular condition, and an equal number or even larger number of people without that condition. So you can compare not just the genetic, but all these other factors we talked about. And so we thought if we at least set a goal of a million, we will have enough representation of all the different conditions that we see among our veterans. And most of the chronic conditions, we also seen in the general population, whether it's cancer or heart disease, mental health, and so on. The other thing is it's not just numbers. You also want to have diversity Mm -hmm. because traditionally, a lot of the genetic studies have been done in people of European descent. And so you might have missed a lot of genetic factors that might be attributing risk to a particular condition. So we wanted to actually have uh, a diverse population and we do. We have the world's largest population of African descent represented in the Million Medicine Program, over 175,000. African-Americans and MVP. If you look at women, the veteran population is, is largely male, mm-hmm. uh, but we do have 100,000 women enrolled in the program, and we will be focusing on enriching that sample and enrolling more women going forward. Other populations, if you look at Hispanics, we have about 80,000 presented in the million. We could do better than that. And then further, if you look at Asian Americans or Native Americans, Pacific Islanders, those are even smaller numbers. But with what we have, we've already started to see some discoveries that are being made now that are specific for African Americans or in Hispanics.
0: You know, I think there's really there's obviously much more than just the two things that I'm thinking of. But one, you're talking about the results that you're considering genetically, as you were talking about people's predisposition towards certain chronic illnesses or their compatibility with certain medications. But then also there's the other part of this where you're looking at people's behaviors that are overlaying over top of that. Like this is, again, this is almost the classic nurture and nature argument here. But first, really looking at what you're talking about precision healthcare from the genetic point of view, you're saying that someone from a certain genetic background, for example, I grew up in the Midwest, but then I also had a 22-year military career and people who have similar experiences to mine, you'd be able to say that majority of people like this or a certain number of people like this would respond well to this intervention versus another one. That's, that's really what you're talking about. Yes, that's it. But yeah. then the other unique thing that you have is really as you were talking about is the behavioral surveys, right? So not only do you have the approaching middle age retiree combat vet from the Midwest, but then also, it's how well do I sleep, and how much do I exercise, and what do I eat, which impacts the genomics, but is actually also a separate a separate data point, perhaps.
1: Yes, you could do. Not all research studies have to involve the genetics. You could do epidemiologic studies. You can see how. In fact, we have the largest nutrient database on 400,000 uh, veterans who participated in the Million Veteran Program. And so recently we had a research paper come out on the benefits of certain eating certain types of food, for example, yogurt. Um, And they came out with uh, uh, certain characteristics and behavior that could enhance your lifespan just based on that data set. Yes, you can absolutely use the data that's brought into the surveys and validate them against what's in the medical record. And look at that as well.
0: And I can see that as a benefit as a clinical mental health professional and as a veteran even, because it's one thing that somebody says, oh, you're supposed to eat better or you're supposed to exercise more and so on. But if I, as a veteran, see something that there's like actually proof in front of me, we we can be very literal sometimes. If there is a point of to say, hey, if you want to be with your grandkids when you're 85 years old, here's the research that shows these are the things that you should do to be able to do that.
1: Yes, that's absolutely right. So the, the research and the findings are the first step. These are associations. We say people with these genetic markers or with this kind of behavior are associated with a certain illness or even wellness. Sometimes we find genetic markers that are beneficial, but then you have to really validate this, understand how is this causing the illness. So then you can tease apart what biological pathways are involved, then look at other new existing FDA-approved medications that could be repurposed for this? Or are there new treatments we could identify? So going from the baseline research finding to validating it and then maybe testing it in a clinical trial, which is what we're doing actually in in one of our studies for uh, metastatic prostate cancer in men. One of our studies identified a polygenic risk score. And so we're now testing this in a clinical trial to say, if we compared the standard of care screening for prostate cancer and then add this polygenic risk score to, it, to the standard of care screening, will we improve our ability to detect it earlier and treat, maybe preemptively even treat? So those are the kinds of things that we, we can do.
0: And I think this is going back to your point earlier about veterans who say once they understand what the Million Veteran Program is and the safety concerns are addressed, that then they say, well, I'm just one veteran. Like, I, you know, I'm just one person in a million or, or however it is. What really can my impact be? But what you're saying is the more veterans or even the more diverse veterans, the more women veterans who join or the more Native American Pacific Islander veterans who join you get that much better, that's going to be potentially something that 10, 15 years down the road that's going to be life-saving for people.
1: Absolutely. That, that's the power in the numbers. We do need large numbers of every background to be represented in a study so we can identify, we can discover these new factors that predispose people to illnesses or find right medications for them.
0: I absolutely agree, and so some of the biggest advances in healthcare has come as a result of these large-scale cohort studies. What are some of the findings? You've already talked about some of them, but what are some of the things that that you have seen in veterans as a result of the Million Veterans Program? And maybe what do you hope to find in the future?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. We are we are now starting to we're at this turning point. We focused all our attention on enrolling and getting a million veterans into the program. And somewhere about halfway, we started generating all the data we need because even the data that comes in needs to be curated, whether it's the genomic data that comes from the DNA or even the survey data, even the electronic health record data. So we spent a lot of time on that. And now our focus in the recent years and going forward is going to be how do we bring these findings back to the clinic to actually improve veterans' healthcare. And I give you one example of the prostate cancer polygenic risk score. And another one is with chronic kidney disease. uh, When we had veterans with a particular genetic marker in the APOL1 gene, we found that they were more susceptible. And this was actually discovered during the pandemic because there were African men with COVID who were getting end-stage renal disease faster and even dying from it. And that's when we discovered a particular genetic marker in a gene that was increasing their risk for uh, this fatal form of kidney disease. Now the same research group a few years later found another genetic marker in the same gene that could actually counter it, this effect of the first gene. And it, it was actually protective. It was able to negate that effect. So now it's mimicking a drug or a medication, if you will. So now there are, they are looking at the, the FDA databases to see if there are other medications that can be repurposed for treating these patients who have this med- with end-stage renal disease. So that's another example They we're starting to see moving towards clinical translation, bringing it to the clinic. We also did a couple of return of results, genomic results. Again, one was in in prostate cancer. So with men with metastatic prostate cancer, there are a number of genes, and they're called DNA repair genes, the BRCA1, BRCA2, BRCA1 and 2, and a few others. People with certain genetic markers respond better to a treatment. And so we were able to take the findings, look at all the men with metastatic prostate cancer, And give them the option. Do they want to have their genetic test validated for these markers? And then be given the opportunity to change their treatment to something that's more, that they would be more responsive to. So in this, it was a pilot study. But even in this, there were about 17 veterans for whom we actually impacted care. The medication that they were on was changed based on the results from the Million Veteran Programme. And we hope that at least not only extended their lifespan, maybe even improved their quality of life in those years. Those are some, a few examples. There are many others coming out in cardiovascular disease and in other forms of cancer. We're looking at where can, what is the next step to move this towards actual clinical benefits real-world benefit for our veterans.
0: And I think even as you're talking, I'm thinking now, obviously, again, as we're talking here in 2023, much of the conversation in the past 15, 20 years, obviously on the post-9-11 combat veteran generation, but really along with that, two things like the survivability of catastrophic injuries, but also environmental exposure. And a lot of the environmental exposure is some of the things that you're talking about is things like showing up many years later, like in cancer and and sort of upper respiratory concerns and things like that. And you mentioned that's another aspect of things that the Million Veterans Program is looking at.
1: Yes, we have self-reported military exposure data in the surveys. So that's an area that we're just starting out now, especially with the PACT Act that was passed. We are looking at ways to validate that information and maybe bring in some additional uh, information on the exposures, depending on where the veterans were deployed from. DoD uh, they have a database which actually has individual exposures recorded, and so that's an avenue we're going to pursue further in the future to see how does the military exposure factor feature into this, along with the genetics. Did the genetics make someone more vulnerable to these exposures, or do the exposures have a, a negative effect? Uh, on certain uh, people with certain genetic background.
0: Well, I think it's amazing where we are at with the science, honestly, really meeting the need that's in the current veteran population. So if somebody's listening, if they are a veteran and they're not enrolled in the Million Veteran Program and they want it to be, or they work with veterans, how can people find out more about the Million Veteran Program if they're eligible to go ahead and sign up?
1: Yeah, so right now, every veteran is eligible to sign up. And we have an online portal. So we started out, we have about 70 VA medical centers where veterans can enroll in person or they can sign up online. And the best way is to go to our website, which is mvp.va.gov. And they can get a lot of information about the program, how to enroll. They can also call our information center and the number is on our website, but I will say it here as well. It's 866-441-6075. This is our information center. Once again, 866-441-6075. They call the information center. They can schedule an appointment, at a be medical center to enroll. And uh, yeah, so we have this, the online portal was launched just before the pandemic. So it actually helped us to keep enrollment going at some rate, even through the pandemic.
0: I think that's great. And I'll make sure that the links and all of that contact information is in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: Thank you very much for this opportunity.
0: Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations it's often difficult to consider the importance of historical events while you're living through them. If we think about the technological advances over the last 50 years, it's pretty amazing in hindsight. I don't think I even saw a personal computer until I was in middle school, and now we have personal computers in our pockets. The digital transformation is shocking when we take a step back and look at it. But that transformation was accomplished by millions of large and small breakthroughs that lend themselves to what seemed to be an almost gradual evolution. I think that we're in the midst of a similar trend when it comes to understanding genetics, and that's why I believe that the VA's Million Veteran Program is going to be a significant contribution to the understanding of the human genome and the key to unlocking advances in health and wellness in 50 years that would seem miraculous to us today. As Dr. Suma shared in the episode, the concept of personalized medicine is even closer than that far-off goal. As a mental health provider, I worked in a clinic that used genetic testing for medication efficacy, and I've even participated in that myself. We're now able to determine what medications are more likely to be effective for someone and what medications are less likely to be effective, as she explained in our conversation, to avoid the trial and error method of medication prescription and provide the right medication to the patient sooner than is usually possible. Not only does this reduce the likelihood of side effects, it can also improve the lives of patients as soon as possible. Precision medicine leads to better adherence to medications, improved outcomes, and reduced hospitalizations. Not only does this apply to psychological conditions, such as ADHD, depression, and anxiety, but also blood pressure, cancer, cholesterol, and heart conditions. Again, as you heard, advances are beginning to be seen in patients with prostate cancer and kidney disease. It's pretty exciting when you stop to think about it. However, with all types of discovery and advancement, the ethics and safety of the science must be considered. I think back to the psychological experiments of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. While they lent themselves to significant discoveries about human behavior and interaction, many are considered highly unethical in hindsight, such as the Little Albert study, which explored classical conditioning by creating the fear of rats and other common animals and objects in a nine-month-old child, or the Stanford prison experiment, which explored the extent to which we adopt the characteristics of arbitrarily assigned roles. Now, please understand me. I am not comparing the Million Veteran program to these psychological experiments, but bring them up to illustrate the need for deliberate consideration of the ethics of the program, which I am sure that is keenly considered by Dr. Suma and her team. Even to her point of ensuring that there is a large and diverse sample in the program is something that has been learned from decades of research. Without a diverse sample, the results are skewed towards the dominant population in the study, which we have also seen from decades of retrospective analysis of studies that featured subjects of European descent. But this is a consideration for many who may be hesitant to, quote unquote, give up their DNA to the government. But the government's had my fingerprints on file since June of 1992, the day I entered into the military entrance processing station to join the Army. I hear you saying, good for you, but there's a big difference between your fingerprints or a retinal scan and your genetic sequencing. Is there really, though? In this hyper-connected age where we are voluntarily providing information in thousands of different ways, we can learn a lot about each other now, that we couldn't have learned 30 years ago without what would have been considered a pretty intrusive personal conversation. Why not take the time to contribute to what I'm sure will go down in history as one of the largest studies of the human genome in this century and contribute to the future health and well being of our fellow humans? Sure, it's the optimist in me, but that's also part of the psychological makeup of veterans a tendency to serve for the betterment of others. So I really appreciated this conversation with Dr. Moraladar. If you appreciated it as well, we would appreciate hearing from you. So if you do have some feedback, let us know. Drop a review in your podcast player of choice or send us an email at info at We're always glad to hear from listeners, both feedback on the show and suggestions for future guests. For this week's Psychomer Resource of the Week, I'd like to share the Psychomer course, Demystifying Genomic Testing, Biomarker Tests for Better Prostate Cancer Outcomes. If you're interested in learning more about the applications of this technology, this course reviews some of the biomarker tests identified in this episode. This can improve cancer diagnosis processes, as well as reduce unnecessary procedures, office visits, and costs. You can find a link to the course in our show notes. So thanks again for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find in the podcast app, as well as on the PsychArmor website at psycharmor.org forward slash podcast. While you're there, you can find hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are all committed to educating the non-military community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members, veterans, and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation and make sure to engage with PsychArmor on social media to let us know what you thought about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot, Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace & Timing and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor Much appreciation to the team at PsychArmor that makes this show happen. Carol Turner, Vice President of Strategic Communications, who keeps me on track and is an outstanding guest coordinator. And support and transcript by Emma Atherall. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we request that you do, but make sure to let folks know where you heard. Join us next time for another great episode. And until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.